Well, we're starting a new series, and it's called, What in the World Am I Here For? And the new series, as you know, is tying right into our small groups. And if you haven't joined a small group, I really, really encourage you to do that. Go buy the book and become part of a small group so that this series can really, really make a difference in your life. Well, we're talking about what in the world are we here for? Why are we on the earth? Well, today we're talking about the fact that God planned us for his pleasure. Planned for God's pleasure is the title of our talk this morning. But before we begin, let's just, have a, let's just spend some time in prayer together. Heavenly Father, I would just ask right now that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit so that you could speak to your people. And we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us but that you would actually change us, transform us. For, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I hurt my back, so I might be sitting in this chair chair off and on. And in last last service, everybody said, I think you sat down one time. Well, uh, I might be sitting down a couple more times. We'll see. But uh, you pray for me as I'm speaking to you today. But what I'm talking about, again, is that we are planned for God's pleasure. Let me ask you a question. What brings God pleasure? What pleases God? Well, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul tells us. He says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, as holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Why are we on the planet? One of the, one of the reasons is to worship Him. And it pleases God when we as believers worship Him. But my question to you is, what is worship? If I was to ask you to define worship, I think we'd have a lot of different definitions. Because I think worship is one of the most misunderstood words in the faith today. Worship. If I was to ask you to define it, many of you would get up and say, we just got done doing worship. We just sang and praised God. Others would would say, no, no, it's more than that. It's all that we do in the service here. Everything we do. We pray, we listen to the word, we have have fellowship together, we serve communion. Whatever we do in a worship service on a Sunday morning, that is our worship. Well, if that's all that we would say, it wouldn't be enough. Because worship, biblically speaking, is a lot more, far more, than just what we do on Sunday morning. It isn't just a once-a-week activity that we do, it is to be, and it should be, a whole life experience. Let me give you a definition, and this is probably a very simple one, but it's a biblical definition of what the Bible says worship should be. Here it is. Worship is doing everything you do as if you were doing it for Jesus. Worship is doing everything you do as if you were doing it for Jesus. This means that, yeah, when we participate in a service like this, we are worshiping. But also we can worship when we're at work or when we're at play. We can worship God when we're changing diapers or making deals at the office. We can worship God on the field, off the field. We can worship God in our homes. We can worship God in a garden. We can worship God at the barbershop, at the salon. Saloon, at the saloon, at the saloon. <laughs> Yeah, we can worship God in a saloon. We can worship God in a salon. We can worship God wherever we might be. As long as whatever we do in that place or where we are brings glory and honor to God. 
as long as we are, whatever we say and whatever we do, we are worshiping God. We are doing everything that we do that it might honor and please Him. You know, that's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Worship is not part of life. It is the way of life. We are to have a lifestyle of worship. We just don't worship. We're to be worshipers. So no matter what we do, what we say, where we go, we have the opportunity to worship Him. With that definition understood, how then do we do that? How do we do everything so or as if we are doing it for Jesus Christ? How do we do that? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in our passage. But he not only tells us how, but he tells us why we should worship. Before we look at how, let's look at why. In Romans 12, 1, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Whenever you see a therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for, Right? See, before Jesus, or before the Apostle Paul tells us why we should worship worship the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us this. We need to understand all that I've said to you from chapter 1 to chapter 11. For you to really understand why, you need to understand all that I've said in chapters 1 through 11. Let me recap those chapters. Let me just ask you, do you do you know what... The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3, do you, do you understand what he said in chapter 6? Do you, well, let me recap it for us. So that we can understand why we are to worship. In chapters 1 and 3, the Apostle Paul deals with how all of us stand condemned because of our sin. In other words, every one of us has blown it. Not one of us is perfect in this room. We have broken the laws of God and we've sinned. And that's a problem that all of us have. But the Apostle Paul goes on in chapter 3 and 5 and tells us that God solved that problem. See, in chapters 3 and 5 it says he's dealing with how through faith in Jesus, finished work, his death and resurrection, we can be forgiven and have peace with God. In other words, when we transfer our trust from ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and was raised again from the dead for our sin, the moment we transfer our trust from ourselves to him, in that moment... We are born again of the Spirit of God. And we are born again. And in that moment, that means that Jesus Christ, who died and was raised again from the dead, has all power and authority to forgive you of your sin. So as soon as you transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus, He has the power to forgive you of all sin and to give to you the Spirit of God, which unites you back to the Father, and now you are at peace with God. You're not at odds with him any longer because your sin has been removed and now you're born again to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. How and why? Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did on that cross and that he walked out of that grave and he lives. And the moment you transfer your trust to him, it says in the Bible, you are saved. So what Paul is talking about is salvation here in chapters 3 and 5. So sin, salvation, then it goes on and it says this in chapters 6 and 8. Paul deals with how through the work of the Holy Spirit we can overcome and live a life of victory rather than defeat. 
Here he's talking about sanctification. In other words, the moment you were born again to the Spirit, as long as you depend on the Spirit moment by moment throughout the day, you can be transformed into the likeness of Christ to where the point where you live a life of victory rather than defeat. And it all depends on how well you depend upon the Holy Spirit. In other words, salvation, you don't do anything to deserve that. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. That's a work that Christ did for you. And you, what you have to do is receive that gift that God has given to you. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But once you are born again of the Spirit, in order for you to be sanctified, in order for you to walk and talk and act like Jesus, there's something that each and every one of us has, has to do. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We have to surrender ourselves every day to the work of the Holy Spirit. And if we do that, we will have victory in life, not defeat. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in chapter 6 and 8. Then he says in chapter 9 and 11, he goes on and he talks about the relationship between Israel and God. But in, that, in those passages, in those chapters, he's saying not only can Israel have a relationship with God, but all of us, all Gentiles and Jews, if they choose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we all can have a relationship with God. So the Apostle Paul is saying... Listen, Jesus dealt with your sin. You can be saved. You can be sanctified. You can have a relationship with God because all that Jesus Christ has done for you. And then he says, in chapter 12, he says this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Therefore, based on all, all in who God is, based on who God is and all that he has done for you. And what has he done for you? He has shown mercy to you. And therefore, because he's shown mercy to you, that you have been forgiven of your sin and now you have a relationship with God, you were doomed, but now you are saved because of what Christ has done for you, what should your response be? But yet to worship. What motivates you to worship him is because he's demonstrated and shown mercy to you. You know, when I first got saved, and even after coming out of seminary, I had a very difficult time understanding mercy. Now, if I was to ask you to stand up right now, be careful, I might. So don't nod your head. I ask you to stand up and say, give me a definition of mercy. Could you do it? If, in case you can't, let me help you. I'm going to give you uh, two illustrations to help you understand what Jesus Christ has done for us. What, when, when we say mercy, what does that mean? First scenario. You're going 80 miles an hour down the road in a 65. Police officer pulls you over and he gives you a ticket and he tells you to slow down and he sends you on your way. What's that? Is that mercy? No. That's justice. You broke the law, and you got exactly what you deserved. You got a ticket, and now you're going to have to stand before the judge, and you're going to have to pay a fine, a penalty, for breaking the law. That's called justice. Now, you know, we talk about justice all the time, but we don't like it when justice falls on us, do we? It's good to fight for justice, but when we're the one that's being justified, we're under justice, we don't like that. But God is just, and he must just, he judges every sin, every thought, every word, every deed where we break the law of God. We are responsible for every thought, every action. You will stand before God, and he will, you will be accounted for everything you ever done. You will stand before him, and he will judge you, because he is just and fair in all that he does. That's the bad news. 
Now let me talk to you about mercy. You're going 80 miles an hour down the road. In a 65, and a police officer pulls you over, but instead of this time giving you justice, giving you a ticket, he gives you a warning. And he says, slow it down. And he sends you on your way. What's that called? That's called mercy. Because you did not get what you deserved. You didn't get what you deserved. The police officer who has the power and authority to give you that ticket chooses to show mercy to you and forgive you and send you on your way. Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid all the penalty of our sin. Took it upon himself and God's justice and wrath fell upon him rather than us. And now he has the power and the authority to forgive us of our sins. Why? Because he walked out of that grave and he has all that power and authority. And the moment you ask Jesus Christ to be your savior, in that moment, he declares you not guilty. He declares you forgiven and he demonstrates mercy to each and every one of us. God, praise God for that. Give him a hand for that one. He demonstrates mercy to us. And the apostle Paul is saying this, what other response can you have? What other response do you have? What should motivate you to worship and give honor and glory and honor to Jesus Christ is because he's demonstrated mercy to us. And then he goes on and he says this. Not only are we to be motivated in that way to give him glory and honor in all that we do and say, but he says it this way. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers. You know that word urge right there? It's not a commandment. He's not commanding you. It's an invitation In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, based on all that I just told you about God's mercy, what should your response be? It should be a voluntary act. It's something that you choose to do. It's it's not a commandment. He's saying, I do not command you, because he understood that God was not a dictator. He's not going to make you worship him. But as believers... We are given an invitation, a strong invitation to respond to God by making a choice, choosing every day to worship him in all that we say and all that we do. That's something that you've got to choose. That just doesn't happen. Hear me on this one. So that you do not lose this blessing. You must choose every day to go to work and, and as an act of worship, to change those diapers as an act of worship. To go and make something right when it was wrong. That's an act of worship. In order to you truly, truly, to fulfill your purpose on this planet, we must choose daily and moment by moment to worship God in all that we do and say. And that's a choice that we've got to make. It's an invitation. Max Lucado defines it this way. Worship is a voluntary act of gratitude offered by the saved to the Savior by the healed to the healer, and by the delivered to the deliverer. And if you and I can go days without feeling an urge to say thank you to the one who saved, healed, and delivered us, then we do well to remember what he did. And when we look back at the cross and see the Son of God dying for our sins, what should our response be? But a heart of gratitude and thankfulness, an act of worship. So the Apostle Paul is saying, why should we worship? Because of who God is and all that he's done for you. Because of mercy. But it's a choice. It's a decision that we make every day, moment by moment. We decide whether we're going to do this for ourselves or we're going to do this for him. But if we decide to do it for him, it's an act of worship. But then, how are we to do this? 
How's this to happen? The Apostle Paul tells us. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer. The word offer literally means to present once and for all. That's what that word means. To present once and for all. And what are we to present? He tells us. He says we're to present your bodies as living sacrifices. What does that mean? What, what Paul is saying, you need to offer your body once and for all to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is that you're offering your entire being, all that you are, to Jesus once and for all. That you need to do this each day. You continue to present yourself to God each day, moment by moment, all that you are. When two people get married, do they stand before their friends and family and commit just their heart to that other person? Do they just commit their mind to that person? No, when two people get married and they make a commitment to one another, they're committing their whole self to the other, to the other one. There, there's a commitment of the, all, all that they have and all that they are to that, other, to that other individual. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul is saying, has already totally committed to each and every one of us. And Paul is saying, if you're going to have a relationship with God, a true, blessed relationship with God, then you must totally commit yourself to him as he's already committed totally to you. And that's something that you must choose not to do it just once, but day by day as you live your life for him. Continue to choose. That's why Jesus said this. He said this in Matthew 22, verse 37 and 38. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In other words, he said, love him with your entire being. And the Apostle Paul is saying, just as that's the first and greatest commandment, to love God with your entire being, you also can worship God in all that you do and say. You can worship God with your mind. You can worship God with your actions. You can worship God with your body. You can worship God with your talents. You can worship God anyway, anyhow, if you choose each day to surrender yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit and allow God to use you in what you do. And everything you do, it's an act of worship. If you choose it. Then the Apostle Paul, he continues on and he says to us that we are to do this daily. He's saying this to us. Let me illustrate what I mean by surrendering yourself. It's a true story. I actually looked it up. True story about a young boy who was selling newspapers. He was out in the street selling. It was a winter day. The snow was blowing. It was cold. There wasn't a soul on the street that didn't sell a paper. So he finally walked into a church. He didn't go to church to hear a sermon. He went in there to get warm. And he sat in the back, but the, the preacher was waxing eloquent about salvation. And the young man began to listen to him. And he ended up responding to the message and asked Jesus Christ to be his Savior and Lord. And then the offering plate was, was passed down the aisles. And the plate came to the young boy, and, the, and he looked at the plate, and he just stared at it. He held on to it and stared at it. Meanwhile, everybody else is looking behind to find out where the offering plate is. He's just holding on to the plate, staring at it. And finally, he took the plate, and he put it on the floor, and he stood in the middle of the plate. And everybody's looking back, and he said this. He looked up. Now, everyone's looking at him. The pastor's looking at him. And he lifts up his head, and tears rolling down his cheeks, he said this. He said, Pastor... I haven't been able to sell a paper today, so I didn't have any money. But I heard today 
that Jesus gave his life for me. So now I'm going to just give my life back to him. That's worship. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. That each day we choose who we're going to live for. And each day, everything that we do and everything we say, we have an opportunity to worship him. If we give all that we're doing, all that we're saying, wherever we might be, to him. The Apostle Paul continues and he says this. He says in our passage, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. What does that mean? Holy and pleasing to God. We are to offer God our best, not our leftovers. We're to offer God our best, not our leftovers. You remember in the Old Testament, they were, they were required to bring an animal. And that animal was to be sacrificed on their behalf, for their sins or for whatever. But that animal had to be perfect. It had to be their very best. It couldn't have a blemish. It couldn't have a defect. It had to be their very best. But when the people started bringing not their best, the blessings were lost. I mean, families got sick. Disease hit the nation. Their enemies took over the nation. When they began to not give their best to God, things happened to their families, happened to the country. But when they gave God their best, they were blessed and they became a blessing. So what the Apostle Paul understood here, as he's speaking to the Jewish people, he, he knew that they would think, I am going to offer this, and he's saying, and it needs to be holy. In other words, it needs to be your very best, not your leftovers. At Urban Impact, we're always talking about the fact that we need to be people of excellence. It doesn't matter if we're singing, we're playing an instrument, we're doing our homework, we're on the field, off the field. We need to be people who are moving towards excellence in all that we do. In order for us to reach our potential and be everything that God wanted us to be, we, had to, we have to choose to do what we do in excellence. When you go to work tomorrow, you have a choice to make. Whether you're going to do that job for a dollar or for your boss or for Jesus Christ. And if you're going to do it for him, you do it for, your, for, for excellence. No matter who's looking or watching, it's all about doing it for him. Whether you're at the school and you're doing your homework or you're doing what you're doing, in order for you to really reach your potential, you've got to go at it not just for yourself, not just for that grade, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, your life, it takes on totally different meaning. And all of a sudden, you become blessed. And you can't even figure out why you're being blessed. And why? Because God can trust you. Because God knows if he gives you an assignment, if he gives you something, he knows that you're going to do your very best at it. And next thing you know, you're pour out blessings upon you and your family because you're a person who's all about being holy and not giving God your leftovers. So we can worship God in all that we do, and all that we say, to God be the glory, for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, the Apostle Paul understood this. After he's explained to us why and how we can do this, he understood that we have a problem. Living sacrifices can crawl off the altar. Okay, We can crawl off the altar, and we can go back to our old way of life. Even though we're saved, we can end up living like the world. We can stop living in the supernatural and go back to the natural. We can go back, and then he also understood that there is the principalities. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil trying to pressure you to go back to your old way of life. To get you distracted from doing the things of God and go back and start doing the old things you used to do. Even though you're saved, even though the Spirit of God dwells in you, you can live 
totally independent of the spirit and live totally in the flesh. Paul understood that. So he says in verse 2, he says this. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Good grief, what's it mean to be conformed? I love what J.B. Phillips said in his translation. He says it this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That's what it means to conform. There's principalities and there's pressure out there in the world to become like them. I know that when you're at school and you're at work and you're in your neighborhood, whatever you're doing, even in families. Just pressing in externals, pressing in on you to do what they do. Not be different, not act different. Don't be kind, be mean. Somebody responds to you in a hateful way, you respond in a hateful way. There's no difference between you and them. And when that happens, we're being pressed into a mold and we become like the world rather than the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And what we have to do in those situations is choose whether we're going to be conformed or we're going to be a transformer. We're either going to be a conformer or a transformer. We're either going to be like a thermometer, right, and we're just going to become part of the environment, or we're going to be a thermostat and we're going to change the environment. We're going to change the situation because we choose to worship him as an act of worship. With my attitude, with my heart, with my mind, with my thoughts, and with my actions. You know what? The Apostle Paul, understanding all this, says this to us. Don't be a conformer, be a transformer. And how does he say it? He says it this way. I love it. He says... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to be transformed? That word right there in the Greek is where we get our word metamorphosis from. Remember when you were in grade school, you watched that tadpole, right, turn into a frog? Remember those days? Remember those days when you watched that caterpillar turn into a butterfly? How did that happen? Did that happen by outside forces? No. They were transformed from within. Don't miss this. You've been trans- the Apostle Paul is saying this. You do not have to conform to the world any longer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And the Holy Spirit is in you and his job is to transform you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In other words, you can be transformed. You can change because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. His whole job is to make you and I look like and act like and talk like Jesus Christ. But there's something that you've got to do. And what is it? He says you can be transformed if you do what? You renew what? Renew your mind. If you don't renew your mind, then the, then the Holy Spirit can't help you. And you'll keep thinking you're, you're, just, you're, you're the sinner, you're no good, and you're just like the world. But if you can transform your mind to begin to understand who you are now in Christ Jesus and you give the Holy Spirit some truth to work with in your mind, he will take that truth and he will transform you. You shut your mind off and you do not, you're not transformed anymore. You're not in the word of God, then he can't do anything with you. Because you won't believe him. How are you able to believe? Believing is hearing, hearing of the word of God. If you're not in the truth, you can't be transformed. Experts are telling me this. Young people today, under 30 years old, are spending 53 hours a week watching and listening to some type of media or technology. 53 hours a week is a job, my friend. 
That's a job, 53 hours a week. Hear me, if that's you, but you're only spending five minutes a day or five minutes a week in the Word of God, you're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not even close. You are definitely being conformed by this world. Remember what the Bible says. It says, what you sow, you will. If you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. How did it all begin? With a thought. The Bible says this, what a man thinks, they will become. The battle, my friend, is for your mind. For your children's mind, for your grandchildren's mind. The battle's for your mind. And whoever owns your mind owns you. The world, the flesh, and the devil knows that. And if they can get us looking and watching what the world has to say about all aspects of life, and we do not go back to the truth, you'll take on lies and falsehood rather than the truth, and you'll live this way, and you'll ask yourself, you keep asking, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. How come I don't change? How come I, I'm not content? Why don't I have peace? And the whole problem is, is your feet and your mind lies every day, and you don't know the truth, so you cannot be set free. It won't happen. Does not happen. The only way that you're going to... Tra- you can say to me, I don't believe in God. God doesn't do this. And I'll say to you, how much time do you spend in the Word of God? You spend in the Word of God and you're, and you're surrendering yourself to the Holy Spirit. I'll guarantee you, you'll transform. If you know Jesus. He, he does it. Paul is saying, You can be transformed if you choose to be a worshiper. You can be transformed. Not just to worship, but to be a worshiper. Not just on Sunday, but all week long. He can transform you. I want to give you an illustration to close this out, to help you understand what this looks like, how it works, how it all happens. And I'm going to give you a negative one, not a positive one, so that you can say, oh, so that you understand that even in your difficult circumstances, God can transform you and he can transform your circumstances. In other words, because of Christ living in you, you can live above your circumstances because the Holy Spirit is in you and he can transform you and he can transform the people around you. When my wife and I first got married, my, my wife, Tammy, she got a job. She was a teacher. And... She was working with some co-workers, and man, I'll tell you what, they were, they were selfish, they really were. They were arrogant, they were self-centered, they were miserable people, truly. And they were anti-God and anti-Christian. And they knew that Tammy was a believer, she, that she loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and at work, at almost every day, they were outspoken, absolutely antagonistic towards Tammy and Jesus in, in the workplace. This was in the 80s. So every day she went to work, she was walking into hell on earth. Opposition, persecution, abuse. I remember Tammy talking about when she'd walk in, she'd say hello, and they'd swear at her. She'd go up and she'd be nice to them, and they would absolutely be miserable. And she would come home and she'd say, Ed, it's like the pressure to conform. It's like I'm doing everything I can not to respond the way that they respond to me. I need your prayer. And we would pray for her. That God would give her the grace to worship him, even in that situation. 
I remember one time Tammy went out and she, they were having a potluck and she made a pie. She took it to the, the potluck and they were all eating. And this girl who hated my wife the most was eating her pie without her knowing it. She was eating the pie and she said, who made this pie? This pie is delicious. And Tammy said, I did. And she literally took the pie in front of everyone, in front of Tammy as well, walked over to the garbage can and just scraped the pie into the can. One day, the boss came in and told Tammy, she said, you know what, we're losing our funding and we need to have you, you need to write down that you're not a teacher, but that you're a counselor. Because we're going to lose our funding, we need you to do that. And Tammy said, but I'm not a counselor, I'm a teacher. She said, I know that, but we're asking you to do it. No, you're asking me to lie, she said. And the boss looked at her and said, you know what, if you don't do this, then you can look for a job in two weeks. And Tammy said, no, I'm not going to do it. She goes, you got two weeks, you're going to be fired. Well, Tammy came home and we prayed about that. It was tough. The next day as she woke up and she went back to work, unbeknownst to her, to the boss, and to everybody else, the bigwigs from Harrisburg showed up. And they had a surprise evaluation. And they went to every class and watched every teacher. And then at the end of the day, they pulled everybody together in one room. The teachers, her boss, Tammy, all the staff. And they began to talk about all the things that they were doing wrong. But they said, you have one bright spot. And they said, this person is going to get our highest combination. And we're going to ask that Tammy Glover please stand. Tammy stood up and they brought her out in front of everybody and they began to tell everyone that you need to learn from this woman because this woman teaches the way that we want her to teach. She loves the people. She cares for the people. You need to do everything you can to figure out how you become like this woman. I can tell you this. That was the last time Tammy ever heard anything about being fired. But the persecution continued on. Matter of fact, they turned up the heat. She'd go into the rooms, and it was just unbelievably hard. Till one day, God prompted her to make a meal for the woman who hated her the most. And that was an act of worship. And she made the meal. And she took it in, anticipating that this woman would take the meal and throw it into the can again. This time, she didn't take the meal and throw it away. She said, thank you. And then all of a sudden, the woman changed, and she became very nice to Tammy all for two weeks straight. And the environment started changing. Till finally, the woman looked at her and said, Tammy, I've got to ask you a question. Why did you make that meal for me? I mean, there's no way that you could have known, any way that you could have known, that I lost my second job, and I had to use all the money that I had to pay my rent to keep a roof over my house, over my head, but I didn't have any money for food. How did you know to make that meal for me? And Tammy sat there and spent time telling her about how God prompted her and how God loved her and how God cared for her and how God saw her need and she wasn't invisible to God and God wanted to have a relationship with her. And you know what happened? Not only did the environment in which Tammy worked changed dramatically, but that young lady's life was ultimately impacted for all eternity. Let me ask us this question. How did Tammy do that? She put into practice what we've been preaching about all this morning. How can we do that? How can we become conformers rather than transform? How can we be transformers rather than conformers?
by doing this. By choosing every day to worship Him. And all that I do and say. And ask that the Holy Spirit fill me with Himself. And be in the Word of God so that the Word of God can transform me. So that I can know the truth and the truth shall set me free. And then I need to do my very best in all that I do. Whatever God is going to ask me, I'm willing to be obedient. And when you become a person like that, you will be transformed from within. And you'll be a transformer in your community, in your home, in the people around you. We've been planned to please God. And the way you please God is by worshiping Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this room, we desperately desire to worship you. This week, we're asking you to turn us into transformers. Help us not to conform any longer. Help us to be in your word. Help us to be people who surrender ourselves every day to you, our minds, our bodies, our souls, and with all of our strength. Do this for your glory and your honor. For you've called us to be on a mission. And that mission is to make disciples of all people all around us. So it isn't just about us or our families. But what's at stake, yes, is is us, our families. But millions of people around us. They're looking for the real deal. Oh Lord, we set ourselves aside to be that real deal today. Help us, Jesus. Help us to live above our circumstances because we're turned to you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.